Davos will show up with. Are we still here? What just happened? Yeah, Matt just dropped. I think Matt hung up on us. <laughs> yeah, he'll come back in a second. Oh, he was so close to finishing. <laughs> Maybe he's right. still reading. <laughs> no, he he's gonna come back and he's oh, gonna no. say, you know what? Let me start over from the beginning. He's going to be like, guys, I forgot to record this. Oh, no. (gasps) Start over. Spoiler alert. This podcast will be covering material from all of the series of Game of Thrones, as well as all of the A Song of Ice and Fire books, including Winds of Winter sample chapters. If you're not up to speed with all of that, and don't want to be spoiled, then this podcast might not be the one for you. If you are up to speed with all of that, we hope you enjoy. Dedicated to HBO's Game of Thrones and George R.R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series, you're listening to Podcast Winterfell. Now, here's your host, Matt Murdock. Hey everybody, welcome back to Podcast Winterfell, another special episode of the podcast where we're covering a Song of Ice and Fire book theories that may have been enforced or trumped by the show, skipping ahead of the books. We are joined by our four panelists, Kelly, who is at Kelly Underfoot on Twitter, Bubba, who is at Fit and Trim, that's F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M on Twitter. Susan, who is Black Eyed Lily, 1L, on Twitter. And Stephanie, who is S-M Persephone on Twitter, that's S-M-P-E-R-S-E phone on Twitter. We've been covering a lot of some of the easier ones and some characters who haven't appeared in the show and what that might mean for them in the books in the last episode. We're picking up on that last subject uh, with a, a, a couple little more caveats. But before we do that, remember, podcastwinterfell.com is where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast. It's also where you can find all of our contact information, our social media information, as well as podcast app links. And if you would take the time to leave a review on whatever podcast app you use, I would very much appreciate it. It helps me stay more noticeable amongst other Game of Thrones podcasts that are out there. And it helps me know what you like or dislike about the show. The written review helps me the best. I don't mind stars. Stars are fine. But uh, if you can take the time to leave me a written review, I'd really appreciate it as well. Hey, that's enough about the podcast. Let's jump right back in where we left off with the last episode and continue our conversation about A Song of Ice and Fire theories and the television show effect on the way we view them. Here we go. Kelly, you want to move on to your other uh, missing characters that we're never going to see because Brienne uh, uh, took a different path? I know. Everyone's grateful that Brienne's walkabout was cut out of the show and consolidated into a much more efficient path that she took, which is very creative because it was not at all taken from the book. She went all over the place. She didn't go in the book. Um, But because of that, we didn't get a lot of characters like Kyle Hunt, who seemed to kind of tie her into a lot of 
more humane side. I don't know if we'll ever get that backstory from, oh, I guess we did get the backstory from her, just from her telling Pod. So I guess some of the characters were not missed, but a character we did miss. Did you guys consider Swearingen as uh, Maribold? Did you guys make that, or do you think this was a completely different step than that uh, we saw? Not the, uh, I don't know the actor's name. I'm sorry. I only know Miss Swearingen from, uh, from Deadwood. Um, the guy who played the act, the actor who played the right, Ian uh, McShane. Ian McShane, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you guys consider him to be Marable? Like, Brian never met him, but he kind of played the same. Um, I kind of took him to be finding the, the house. Elder brother. Okay. I took yeah, because elder brother was one who healed uh, Sandor. And so I kind of took him in that role rather than the Maribald. Oh, good. I know some people have seen it as kind of a combination of the two, but it did seem to me that they kind of dropped Maribald totally. Oh, because that dropped the most tragic loss of a character that we're not going to get, which, in my opinion, was Dog. I loved Dog. (laughs) (laughs) I loved Dog so much. He was the best. He has his own uh, Wiki Advice and Fire page. Just search dog and he shows up oh my god he's so adorable and uh if you haven't read the book what are you doing listening to this but also um <laughs> read about a dog he's adorable that's my that's my i wanted to put that in that's my saddest difference from the book in the show <laughs> right on anybody miss dog as much as kelly does stephanie no, not possible. no i think i'll let kelly have that one. Oh, <laughs> kelly yeah <laughs> Thank you for indulging, but okay. Susan, uh, you pointed out that you felt like he was more the, the Ian McShay was more uh, the the elder, um, and it did did result in the confirmation of, of course, that the Hound uh, was something we we've all kind of assumed in the books, but it did kind of confirm that. That thought that was kind of cool. Right, right, and he also played the role of somebody who had been a, a, a warrior or soldier in the past who had uh, you know, gone away from that life and, and taken up the uh, religious life, which I guess you could say is also possible with Stephen Maribald as well, but um, was definitely something with the older brother. Yeah, I think that was kind of where he became an amalgamation between the elder brother and Maribald. He kind of gave both those sides of it. Um, do you guys, this will lead us into one of the more complicated ones later, but that does kind of bring up the possibility for more likely Clegamble in the, mm, <laughs> in the yes. future. Well, why don't we go ahead and talk about that? Uh, Bubba, I'm sure that you would least like to talk about Brienne's walkabout, if I recall our Feast Dance tandem read. <laughs> but uh, what about the the idea, the prospect of Clegamble being re- resurrected? Not in maybe a trial of seven, like... Uh, or 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 in a, in a faith trial for Cersei in in the way that uh uh we uh maybe have been theorizing for about or maybe so uh it's still a possibility in the books but uh because we haven't had a trial yet in the books but what what do you think about the possibility of a Clegane bowl is it now imminent in the books or in the show I don't think it could be what you would call imminent in the books mainly because Martin hasn't come out and officially confirmed that the Hound is still alive. And if you watch the mm. Hound scenes in, in the show, the Hound isn't with any characters who are quote-unquote POV. So, uh, you know, uh, when could this Hound, if he's there on the Quiet Isle, how could the Hound 
get into somebody's POV where they're like, hey, he's still alive. Hey, he's here. So if there's going to be a game bowl, it, it would have to be very deep into the winds of winter or save for a dream of spring. I, the one thing I'd say about the game bowl that the show did was I actually kind of thought it was, and I admit that this is definitely going to go down different in the book, but I, I thought it was smart how they had Tom and outlaw trial by combat. It's kind of like, you know, uh, since we've already uh, spoiled Ender's game, let's spoil a bit of the Harry Potter books. You know, <laughs> J.K. Rowling got a bit sick of Quidditch, so she had to keep coming up with different ways to kind of get Quidditch out of the book. Like, oh, no, Harry's prevented from playing, and oh, they've canceled Quidditch because of this threat or that. So therefore, she didn't have to keep going back to it. And I think Martin, because he, he had done enough trial by combat seeds of the book, I wouldn't be surprised if he had something <laughs> similarly planned to be like uh, to prevent uh, Frank and Gregor or uh, Robert Strong, if you prefer his book name, uh, to to not be the easy out that he would seemingly be. So I, I like that the show did that, and I I could see this new book having a similar type uh, outlawing of trial by combat happen. Interesting, uh, Stephanie. What do you think? The clicking bowl has never been appealing to me, um, at least in the books, because, you know, we know the hound or supposedly the hound, you know, he's on the quiet aisle. He's kind of reformed. He's quiet. And he meets meets dog there. (laughs) Huh? He meets dog there. (laughs) Yes. But, um, I, it just always seemed counterproductive to the Hound story. He finally found peace. He finally, I don't, I don't want to say he was happy, but, you know, for him to go back down to King's Landing or wherever to, like, kill his brother, it just always seemed so counterproductive and so almost, almost redundant. It was just like, ugh, I don't want that to happen, mainly for the Hound's sake. Um, and now that the trial by combat has been outlawed in the show, I don't really see the hound going back to King's Landing in the show either. Um, I I hope he's, you know, traveling maybe north to help, you know, John and Arya, and maybe he'll meet back up with her. I think that would be pretty cool. But the Clegane Bowl has never appealed to me, and I I, I can't see why people want that. <laughs> understood. Understood. <laughs> Susan, what do you think? Um. I I agree with that. You know, I have mixed feelings about whether I want to see the hound just stay on the quiet aisle or have another role in the in the books in, in any other way. But um, I'm not. I I wouldn't mind not seeing the Clegane Bowl. Nobody wants blood and guts like I do. Nobody <laughs> wants to. Uh, nobody wants a hound to get his sweet revenge for getting his face put in a fire and causing all the trouble that it's caused. <laughs> Oh, I I want Clegane Bowl. I want it bad. I want it bad. How about how about you, Kelly? Yeah, I agree with Stephanie. It would feel like um a regression for the character to kind of go back to his fighting ways. Um, but I could totally see him having a conversation with the elder brother and saying the only way you can put your demons to rest and be truly at peace is if you do this thing. And so he goes out and <laughs> maybe it's not even like a trial by combat. Maybe he just hunts him down and kills his brother and or somehow word gets to the quiet aisle that this is the monster is is out and 
you know, maybe even out of mercy, he puts his brother um, out of his misery. You know, there's a lot of ways that I think that it could go down. That's not quite as epic as like a clogging bowl. (laughs) (laughs) Even if, you know, whatever his, his reasoning for it, maybe the elder brother is getting him ready to, to do this out of mercy rather than out of vengeance for his brother. And once he said, he feels like he can do it that way, he'll release him into the wild and the hound will go back to, to fight Mm -hmm. and, his brother somehow but other than that other than like those things are quite clear if those things aren't quite clear it will just feel like a character regression and it'll be (laughs) unsatisfying and it it seems like in the show that that's possible like the show has Gregor or has um Sandor still out and about and very much killing people so maybe um, maybe and in the show we currently have Cersei as a queen who could easily you know she's a fan of the trial by combat right as long as she's got the mountain fighting for her. Uh, <laughs> yep. could she not just reinstate it? I mean, she blew up the whole religion that said that <laughs> made Tommen make that. Yeah. Tommen's dead. Everybody's dead. She, she's in control. It doesn't even have to be a, a game. It doesn't even have to be a trial by combat for you know this to take place. He just needs to. They need somebody stand or size to take down somebody. You know, magic instilled and sorcery induced, and the mountain sized. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> I would like to, to just uh, counter what Bubba said, though, in, in, in saying, do you really think that, that George Martin is tired of the trial by combat? <laughs> I think he likes those. You know, he's already done, what, three? Uh, we'll see. Yeah. yeah. And and theoretically, isn't he going to do yet another one in the, in the Brienne, Jamie, Lady Stoneheart? Mm. Well, maybe he uh-huh, will. Yeah. Maybe maybe she'll just kill him. I I don't know. I think he likes all the blood and guts. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yeah, he does uh, spend an awful lot of words describing food and blood. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, our final character, at least that I have on my list. If anybody else can come up with any more, then that's fine too. But. Uh, my final character that I have on the list is is Victorian Greyjoy, uh, who was obviously replaced by Theon and Yara. I don't see any reason to need him in the show since he didn't show up for uh, the uh, the King's mood or anything like that. It seems to be gone. Um, but I, I do want to add this caveat. Does this really kind of tell us, because Theon and Yara were successful in allying with Daenerys, does that help Victorian's chances in the books? And we'll start with you, Kelly. Um, help his chances at surviving. <laughs> it, it, well, possibly allying with Danny. Um, it, yeah, it could work. It, it, I've seen, I've been viewing uh, the Euron character as more of an amalgamation between the Euron, uh, between the Euron and Victorian characters, because he doesn't seem as wacky as as Euron in the books seems. <laughs> yeah. I've kind of tied his storyline more to Euron's storyline, um, if that makes any sense. Because they both kind of are trying to do the same thing with allying with Danny. Does that make sense? So maybe Asha will mm-hmm. do do the stuff that the Asha in the um, show's doing. And mm-hmm. the Darian storyline will just kind of become the, the Euron storyline. And whatever either of their fates are in the book will be whatever the, this, this character's fate is in the show. That's the best of my analysis. Sorry. Not loving that character. I don't put too much thought into him. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, it, nobody loves that character, but we all love reading him uh, for whatever reason, or I do. 
um, which makes me a terrible human being, I know. How, <laughs> how about you, Stephanie? Any thoughts on Victorian? Well, I was just going to say that, oh, my God, his chapters are so scary. Um, but I, I, I agree with um, Kelly that I've seen him in the show more as a combination of Euron and Victorian from the books. But like Kelly said, he's not as quirky or weird like Euron is. Um, I, You know, like I said, I, I'm, I'm kind of scared of him, so I, I don't really have much to say. <laughs> How about you, Susan? Uh, I think that Victorian is going to blow that big dragon horn and get his insides burned out, and I think McClure <laughs> is egging him on towards it, and that's going to be the end of Victorian. Wow. Right on. Bubba, what do you think? Well, R.I.P. Victorian, that's kind of harsh. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> my, main, my main thoughts, you know, Victorian, what a, what, a, what a nut, huh? But anyway, but my main thoughts is because they've seemingly given the, hey, Victorian goes to Marine, well, let's give that to Yara and Theon. That m- makes me feel like Yara and Theon are some of the characters in the book who I'm really kind of confused about what they'll be doing in the next book. Uh, because there isn't, there is the show path like there is in other characters of like, you know, even if, for example, even if the, the books do it much smoother and more uh, a kind of a natural uh, way that Arya will head back to Westeros, I see that happening on the show, and I could easily see that happening in the book. But, but there's just nothing that Yara and Theon did this specific season that I could see Theon and, uh, excuse me, Asha doing in the books. You know, they they just can't do what their TV counterpart did in season six. And so, uh, in my own mind, I can't even figure what they'll be doing other than providing us POV characters in the north. I can't. Mm-hmm anything they'd be doing and i feel like that's way more crucial like i think having those pov characters in the, the north is going to be way more useful to george <laughs> i don't think the, <laughs> the, the showrunners considered stuff like that when they when they move these characters about the board uh, that's not a concern for them whereas for george that's a huge concern so he might have to keep them in the north and now they these characters are as different as their names are yara and austin <laughs> <laughs> Asha will stay in the North. Yara has gone to Marine. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Kelly's favorite subject. She's written three novellas on this subject over the course of the last couple of years of Podcast Winterfell. <laughs> We're talking about the Grand Northern Conspiracy. Jon Snow is now king, which confirms the hope of the Grand Northern Conspiracy. But does it confirm the theory itself? There's a couple of things you can think as for Jon Snow is king and some factions of the North United. If you want to go against the Grand Northern Conspiracy Theory, as someone on this podcast naturally tends to go, <laughs> not saying any names, but as you know, he's the host. Um, <laughs> you know, John put the force together himself and John was made king after one impassioned speech by some little girl. Leanna Mormont, our favorite Mormont ever. Uh, it was no massive conspiracy. And the fact that we don't have a Lady Stoneheart or a Brotherhood role seemingly playing any position in Jon Snow becoming king. Did uh, did Dave and Dan just skip ahead and go over it? Or is he, are they saying, eh, it's not really what you think it is? 
Uh, Kelly, you want to start us off with your impassioned imploring that uh, the show did prove the Grand Northern Conspiracy, or do you believe that it did not? Dry my eyes as I bawl as I watch this unfold so easily. Well, it took hours and hours of research and writing and putting the pieces together. <laughs> it took so much work for the plot. I could see, I feel you, George. Let me just put it this way. I feel you, George. The pain of seeing that come together with like four lines of dialogue versus pages and pages and books and books <laughs> of effort to put it together subtly, elegantly, beautifully. And it just happens on screen. I think we're just looking at the difference between the mediums. Like there's, it's way easier just to show it happen in quick succession. Um, and it's way more satisfying to read it happen in long drawn out, believable characters with believable motivations and desires. And I think we're seeing the results of the GNC. I think the show has proved that it will be coming to fruition. Um, whether or not it's separate factions working for a common goal uh, or a united faction working for a common goal. Like I think it all, comes down to the fact that this is what happens. And, uh, ah, but if it's separate factions working for a common goal, then it's mm-hmm. not a conspiracy. Correct. <laughs> it's what we talked about on the GNC episode. That first tier is really all that really got accomplished. That's all they had in common was get rid of the Boltons. Um, and that second tier of conspiracy may or may not actually be a, a motivation, like a, what they're working towards while they're all at Winterfell and on their way to Winterfell and such, but they are all easily convinced by the time John is sitting in front of them. So perhaps it's in their minds as an option, but maybe not an obvious one. <laughs> and we have no North, North clan. We have like no North clans in the show. There's, there's so much that's just not in the show. So they, they, they consolidate it. And I respect that. They have limits. Yeah. Yeah, like, but you got to eliminate the whole Karstark uh, slash Umber flip. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so much flipping that doesn't happen. I mean, there's that the march to Winterfell like barely happened. It, it was like <laughs> half a scene of it. It was so sad. But it's chapters and chapters of Asha just going with Stannis's army, and you find out how tragic this march was, and how many people died in the show. It was like, oh. <laughs> A little sprinkling of snow, is it? I'm a southerner. This is uncomfortable. And that was it. Like, there really it's, it was, as somebody who spent so much time delved into it, it was disappointing, but I, I respected it because nobody else cares as much as like the five of us in the world that run. run into that. <laughs> Nothing had to burn Shereed to get rid of that little bit of snow. I know. <laughs> I'm like, seriously, do you know how easy you have it to your book counterparts? Get it together, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I, I respect what the show did, and I think it just shows that it's where the books are going. <laughs> I'll okay. be done now. Fair <laughs> enough. Stephanie, we didn't have you on the GNC podcast, but what do you think of the Grand Northern Conspiracy Theory, and uh, what do you think about the way the show kind of skipped to the end? Well, I love the Grand Northern Conspiracy, and I think you guys have done a fabulous job um, laying it out and explaining it. Um, And, you know, I think the show has, honestly, they've done a good job of um, putting it together. I do think it's true. Jon Snow is king, um, mainly because of a little Lyanna Mormont, who's the greatest character to live. But um, 
remember in the show, they also kind of had people rallying for Sansa, you know, telling her to put a candle in the highest tower. And um, so I think they kind of showed a little bit of conspiracy going around, you know, with loyalty for the Starks. Um, oh, I have then, to disagree with you there. I, I yeah? felt like that was merely Brienne telling the end person to get word inside to, to somebody that he trusted to, to tell Sansa. I don't mm-hmm. think there was any conspiracy about that. You don't that. think so? But if they weren't, no, I called, don't. if they didn't have that in them, would they really go against the, the Boltons if they weren't on the Stark side? I mean, that was pretty risky. One woman did, and there was nobody else punished for that. You know, Ramsey showed Sansa the girl, the woman, and that was that. I think Brienne merely told that innkeep, you know, when she said, I need you to do, or asked him what he thought. Not that the most of people weren't for the Starks. Don't get me wrong. Right. Most people are for the Starks. But just in general, I mean, compared to Theon Greyjoy and to Ramsay Bolton, what are you going to say? You know, I, I, again, it doesn't seem like it's a conspiracy. That it just was that particular instance with the candle was just find somebody. Something that was said off screen was find somebody you trust. Tell Sansa that I'm here. Well, I think it was a conspiracy, and I think you know they had um, after the Battle of the Bastards, they had. They had the Stark banners ready. They were ready for this. They were <laughs> planning for this. Okay, the, um. the Stark banner, the Stark banners thing. That that was pretty interesting. But I think they just pulled them up out of the cellar. Okay, well, you know, Matt, you can just. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Your skepticism no. on a step too far, Matt. Yes. <laughs> Okay. No, but I, I love the Great Northern Conspiracy. I, I'm all for it. I think it's great. Um, you know, hopefully the show will maybe give us more, Or, but, you know, I'm all for it. All right. Well, that's fair enough. I love that, too. <laughs> uh, Susan, we heard your thoughts about the Grand Northern Conspiracy in 301 and 302, but what do you think about the way the show handled uh, this? Is it proof? Is uh or uh, do you feel like that uh, the skipping to the end was okay? Um, I think because of the fact that they didn't take the time to develop so many of the Northern characters that are central to that, um, then, yeah, I think they had to do it that way. You know, I, I, I wasn't crazy about the way they handled the car starts and the umbers. Uh, but, uh, you know, there were so many others that they didn't even it really developed and yes, we got wonderful Leanna Mormont and that was great. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think without them putting the time and in, into doing that development, then I think they kind of had to handle it this way. Frey pies at the, at, at the fray at the twins, Bubba. But, uh, I mean, what do you think? Jon Snow is King. Uh, did they just skip to the end? Matt, hashtag skip ahead. Yeah, it was fine. Don't we, don't we want the books to have a character as fun as Leona Mormont? Uh, certainly, you know, we love Manderly in the books, and we didn't get him on the show. That's disappointing, but the show gave us a, a character, I think, just as fun in little Leona Mormont. And so, you know, it got to it. The books can hopefully do it, you know, elegantly, but. Until that point, yeah, let's go get on with it. We got 15 hours left. We got to end this thing. 
<laughs> right. It took us 15 hours to get through the DNC. Maybe they don't have to go into every detail. <laughs> we did get fray pies, though. Fair. I think that was good. <laughs> that was good. Fair enough. Now, one might say that the GNC might have gotten killed by the pink letter in Dance with Dragons. It's already been defeated in one way or another. Um, and Bubba had brought up earlier that, you know, the whole question about whether Roos is dead at the end of A Dance with Dragons because of the pink letter. But, Kelly, uh, we I guess we could go ahead and open this up just a little bit. Who do we think wrote the pink letter if it wasn't <laughs> Ramsey? Because there are a lot of conspiracy, like you say, there's a lot of conspiracy theorizing uh, about who wrote the pink letter. Uh, you want to outline some of this for us? Yeah, the most concise um, piece I saw was by Brendan B. Fish, props, uh, on Reddit. And it was just a very, very clear cut description of like what the motivations of the characters could be, uh, what their opportunity was, and what the likelihood of that character having done that would have been for that character and what some things that kind of go against the possibility of that happening were very elegantly written down. Highly recommend searching that. It's uh, The suggestions are like Ramsey wrote it, Mance could have written it, Asha wrote it, Stannis wrote it, Melisandre could have written it. Um, I like to think that there's a Horsebane element where he could have written it. Um, but even if Ramsey did write it, there's a lot of like speculation that can be done about even the truth, the truthiness of the contents. So there's there's a lot of inconsistencies that come up because of it. So uh, you can't take it Kelly, necessarily as guaranteed. I was just <laughs> say, Kelly, who do you think wrote it? <laughs> uh, I think it was a Mance Horsbane co- collaboration. <laughs> um, I think Mance. Oh my lord! <laughs> this is a positive safe space for ideas, Bubba. I'm Right? No, no, it is. It is. And it's also a positive, safe space for people to say, come on. No, Dario Euron wrote it. Come on. I love you, Baba. But yeah, there's there's possibilities abound. There's no truth to to be seen on page just yet as to who who wrote it. So we're not we're not sold in in Kelly Town. We're not sold yet. Are we sold in Stephanie Town? <laughs> about who wrote it? Uh, about whether Ramsey wrote it or not, or whether it kills the Grand Northern Conspiracy. I don't think Ramsey wrote it. I have read Brendan B. Fish's analysis of it. Um, I don't really have an idea, but I just don't think Ramsey wrote it. And, you know, I think we talked about with Stannis, that leaves a whole other thing open. Is Stannis really dead? Is Ramsey still ruling in the North? Like, I there's so many implications of the pink letter, but I like to think that it doesn't ruin the conspiracy because I like the conspiracy. So that's my final answer. Very good. <laughs> Confirmation that's bias. Fair enough. That's fair <laughs> enough. Now, Susan and Bubba and I, I think, discussed uh, the pink letter uh, at length during our Feast Dance Tandem read, if I recall. Susan, you were on that podcast, right? Um, I was, and I, I, you know, I think I've changed my mind a little bit about the pink letter since I don't even remember <laughs> what, what my opinion was of who wrote it then, but I, I think I'm at the point now where I think the simplest answer is the uh, easiest here, and I do think Gramsci is responsible for it, but um, I uh, think that he has some incorrect information. Ah, very good. 
Bubba, has anything changed about your thoughts about the pink letter since we uh, last uh, talked about it way back in the Feast Dance tandem? Listen, what Susan just said, I'm taking that. I'm going to Kellytown. There's going to be a discount sale. We are going to sell it. <laughs> We're going to make this happen. <laughs> We're going to move some product. We're going to do it. <laughs> enough is enough. Not or, or we not say, George, give us a darn book. Enough already. <laughs> I think we, we agree on that. <laughs> There's another aspect to the whole Grand Northern Conspiracy, which is uh, involves a, a certain character that we all love in the Blackfish. In the books, he has escaped, right? Uh, much in the same way that uh, the... Uh, that Brienne and and Podrick escaped uh, during the siege of River Run. Um, now with Jamie and Walder, uh, basically their conversation seems to confirm that the Blackfish is dead. I, I can't see any reason why Jamie wouldn't have looked for the body once the body was reported to him. Um, so does this mean that um, the well, first of all, what does it mean for the GNC? Second of all, what does it mean for the Blackfish in the books? Does it mean his role is significantly diminished? Uh, for that, I look more towards what other events have taken place that the Blackfish could have been involved with. Because we don't actually see him. So this other movement that has happened in the show, that could imply the Blackfish had an interest in that and, and was doing that. So did he go to the Vale and was part of the conversation that brought the um, army from the Vale to the North, because that did happen in the show. Maybe in the book, Blackfish has a part in that. Um, since they completely cut out Lady Stoneheart, maybe he joined Lady Stoneheart. Um, there's things like that that I kind of look for clues into where the Blackfish ended up. Um, how either his role was played by someone else in the show, or how his storyline was cut out with other things that were cut out. So I, it could be that's diminished. I don't. I, nothing's impossible, but it makes me so sad. <laughs> So I want to say there's one of those other things that hasn't like his, like the GNC got completely skipped. So who knows what his influence in the GNC was? Um, If it's true, Baba, if it's true. (laughs) 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 Uh, I I think the GNC is true. I'm sorry if my little pink letter variant of the GNC was bad. I'm down. I, I agree. Oh, okay. All right. So you're, you pick and choose where you think it's going too far. <laughs> Fair enough. Bubba, doesn't everyone. Hold on. Doesn't everyone? <laughs> Bubba, were you sad to see Blackfish die? Uh, or did you feel I, I like Blackfish is dead? To, I was sad to see him die on this show because I, like many book readers, we've had so long to wait for these darn books, you start thinking of all the awesome things he could be doing in the book. And once again, he, he could still do kind of cool things in this in these last couple of books. But the fact that the show and the actor, let's be honest, the actor is pretty good was pretty good on the show. But the, again, because the actor, because the show, excuse me, did kind of just say, okay, here's a character. He was a dangling thread. We've taken care of him. Nothing to see here, folks. It does make me think that these characters, their counterparts in the book, you know, once again, it goes into, you know, importance or significant, but it makes me realize just how insignificant they may be. 
in the books and probably to be completely honest, probably are in the books. So sad, but you know, once again, I, I'm, I am at the point where I'm ready to see this thing come together and end. And so if that means occasionally skipping ahead and saying goodbye to a character I do like an actor I do like in the blackfish, I understand it. Let's just go. Understood. How about uh, you, Stephanie? I was, yeah, I was definitely sad to see the Blackfish um, end, but he went out fighting. Um, You know, it was more Edmure's lame decision to, like, give up the castle. Um, And I like the actor who plays Edmure, but, you know, it was just kind of like, why'd you do that? And then the Blackfish, he dies. And like Bubba was saying, what, what are the, you know, future... I guess I keep saying implications of that, but does it mean that he's just not that important to the story anymore? Um, I'm not sure if he really had anything to do with the Grand Northern Conspiracy, but, you know, it just kind of sucks that he's he's gone from the show and that just probably means he's not that important to the overall story in the books either. Understood. Susan, final word on Blackfish and on the Grand Northern Conspiracy. It's all yours. <laughs> okay. Um, I agree with what Stephanie said about one of the things I thought was most tragic about the whole Blackfish story on the show was how they interpreted Edmure, because I think in the book, I am under the impression that Edmure was collaborating with the Blackfish and helping him escape and sharing information that he had learned through the Brotherhood and so forth. So I didn't like to see them coming to a conflict the way they did in the show. Um, So again, it's another case to me of um, them just consolidating and eliminating things in the show that are going to be different than they are in the books. And uh, that's how I feel about the whole or the conspiracy for that fact. Gotcha. Very good. And uh, let's move on to whether Tyrion is a secret Targ. This is a popular theory and uh, it seems like the world of ice and fire with dates has, has pointed towards Tyrion being more of a possible uh, Targaryen than Jaime or Cersei. Um, however, uh, the show has done a couple of little things that maybe the books uh, will do or, or might do uh, to point more in that direction as well. Tyrion's interaction with the dragons was nothing like Quentin Martell, which was my fear when I first saw that scene. I was like, oh, no, they're not going to do the Quentin Martell thing to Tyrion. They can't do that. That's like doing the whole uh, the whole fake drowning. Um, you know, so I was uh, I was relieved to find out that the dragons just kind of listened to him. But the the dragon does have three heads. So we know John's one now. We know Danny's one is Tyrion the third. Uh, further proving the Fagon thing to be out. Um, what do we think? Uh, Bubba, I know that you're not a big fan of secret Targs, and, and you'd rather um, Tyrion maybe not be a Targ, or at least the last time we talked, I thought that was the way you felt. But the, it does give him an out for not being a Kinslayer. I, Matt, you are describing my position very, very well. But the one thing I, I think you're leaving out is that I could definitely see it happening. I can see this this actually being a thing in the books, in in the books at least, Tyrion being a, the quote unquote third head of the dragon, the secret Targaryen. I, I could totally see it, and I 
think George, you wonder why he's given us so many hints if it isn't true. If he would really mm-hmm. go this far for what you would call a red herring. But uh, it doesn't feel like in the last 15 episodes you can get there in the show, especially since the show hasn't been giving us these clues. So, you know. Mm. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, how about you, Stephanie? Um, I agree with Bubba. I think, I, well, I like the secret Targaryen theory, though. Um, I think the books have given us plenty of evidence with Tyrion's dragon dreams and, you know, Joanna Lannister probably being raped, unfortunately, by King Aerys. Um, you know, the books have given us so many clues um, that, like Bubba said, I don't know why George would drop so many clues and then have them not come to fruition. Um, but in regards to the show, the only thing we've really seen is the one scene with Tyrion talking to the dragon. And while that was really awesome and really cool, um, I think it'll take, like Bubba said, a lot of steps and a lot of leaps to show that, hey, wait, no, this actually isn't Tywin's son. You know, and they made such a big deal about him killing Tywin and being a kinslayer and everything. I think it just, I think Tyrion is a secret Targaryen, but I don't think the show is going to get there. And if they are, I'm not sure how they're going to get there, if they get there. Fair enough. Uh, how about you, Susan? Uh, I concur with uh, what Stephanie had to say there. I, I'm also a fan of, of Tyrion being Targaryen. Uh, they haven't talked about three heads of the dragon on the show. Uh, so uh, That's true. You know, I don't think it's going to be an issue there. I don't even know if they're going to end up having three dragon riders. Uh, you know, who knows? But I do think it is going to be in books. Very good. And Kelly, final word? Uh, I I'm pretty sure that Tyrion's going to ride a dragon in the show. So um, I just feel like they put so much energy into Peter Dinklage and they love this. And I, even if it doesn't happen in the books, I'm sure he will be on a dragon by the end of it, just from how whitewashed like, his character has, has kind of happened. And he's the hero, really. And it's, it's perfect for the show's track record, I think, to put him on a dragon. Um, if all it takes is, let's say, he sits on the dragon and has a magical connection and has a flash vision montage of him not being a Lannister, but really being a Targaryen and just succession of images somehow and a voice or something, maybe, maybe not, but <laughs> it could happen. It could happen really quickly. And I mean, that would be a very satisfying character moment for him. And um, the show is not above that fan service, you know, so... <laughs> Um, it might be, play out differently in the book, but I, I could see it happening in the show. And I don't see it being too difficult to to achieve. You know what, Kelly? It's just convinced me. I, I, all right, the show can pull this off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and, and just as one little caveat, and I can't remember if the show has covered Danny's mother being dying during childbirth or not, but it doesn't really matter because if John is a secret target and his mother died in childbirth, and Tyrion's mother died in, died in childbirth, and you have the fact that, that Tywin's constantly saying, "I can't prove that you're my son," even and though Danny's he mom also died says, in childbirth. <laughs> "Well, yeah, Danny's mom died in childbirth." But did the show cover that? That's what I'm oh, saying. Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just can't recall whether they've mentioned it or not, and it's possibly that they have, but it's a possibility that they have, but I just can't recall it. Um, I'm just saying, you know, the, the secret targs, uh, have that in common if, if Tyrion is in fact a secret targ. So, uh, I love that thought. Mm-hmm. 
Um, <laughs> let's move on to uh, someone who is not a Targaryen by any stretch of the imagination, although maybe just as ruthless and just as mad by the time we see her at the end of season six. Let's move on to Arya here. Um, in the books, of course, she's still at the House of the Undying. And uh, we do have a sample chapter uh, from The Winds of Winter with Mercy getting the same name and everything uh, by, uh, as Bubba pointed out in our doc here. So um, do we feel like Arya's storyline, as far as the House of the Undying goes, has been spoiled by the TV show as far as the books go uh, completely? Do we, do we see the same end for Arya um, in the books uh, at least to where she is right now in the television show. Let's start with you, Susan. Huh. Um, wow. Well, you know, <laughs> Arya's arc in the this season was one thing that, you know, we weren't too crazy about in terms of the way that uh, she ended up leaving. No, no, no. Some of you weren't crazy about. Not all of us. Okay. All right. All right. I won't make that generalization. Um, but, um, I, and and I'm not sure that I'm gonna. You know, in terms of Arya going back and you know killing uh, a Walder Frey and all that, I'm not sure about my take on that. I love a theory that's been put forth by uh, Radio Westeros on this, where um, we have in the sample Theon chapter Justin Massey being sent by Stannis to uh, take Jane Poole to the Wall, and then that she may end up going to Bravos with him. In fact, when she gets to the wall, John's probably, you know, not going to be have been brought back to life yet. And he had even considered sending his sister Arya to Bravos if she if she made it there. So if she makes it to to Bravos, uh, the idea that um, it's even been said, uh, one comment that Theon said to her is that no one uh, will care what Arya looks like when Jane was so upset about her looks and so forth. If she makes it to the House of Black and White, that maybe Arya could take her place and come back as as uh, Jane Poole. Wow, I hadn't heard that one yet. What what episode of Radio Westeros is that? Uh, well, I don't know. You know, I'm not sure how recent it is. They they do have there's an essay on it uh, on their site. Arya's new face. Uh, they put together some okay. clues in terms of, like I said, some of the things that have been said about Jane and the fact that she's probably going to end up going to Bravos, and uh, that if Arya did come back. Uh, with uh, Jane's face that uh, it could be maybe um, appropriate for her to end up being the one who kills Ramsey. But uh, she learned about that basilic venom, which is uh, the uh, poison that makes uh, animals kind of go crazy. That uh, was the one thing that was probably fed to that dog at uh, Heron Hall that killed that guy. That Jack, mm-hmm. Jack killed that guy for her that possibly she could use that on Ramsey's dog so that that would be kind of poetic justice and a little bit similar to how Ramsey died there in the, in the show. Interesting. I like it. Uh, how about you, Kelly? I'm recovering that blew my mind. That sounds so good. Um, my only question <laughs> is like the, t- the time, you know, like how long will that take? And you know, that stuff like that is a little, I'm sure they made a good point of it. And I, I did find the essay you were talking about. It was from like a long, long time ago, like their second essay. So if you, you have to dig back if you want to find it. But, um, but yeah, the, the, the aria in the show is so different. And um, I'm wondering how book aria will get there. 
so in, uh, I feel like I didn't think about it until, until Stephanie pointed that out, but yeah, Arya is taking up some of the um, Lady Stoneheart storyline. Um, so maybe they just kind of jump-started her, her killing spree a little early by giving her her mom's uh, murder victims or, or at least behavior um, and, uh, and goals with, with Frey vengeance. So it could catch up. She could catch up with, uh, with her show self, I guess. I don't know. I, I'm a little worried for my namesake here. I'm, not, I'm a little underfoot, but <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm going to... I'm gonna have to take some 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 ideas from you guys on, on where she could go because mostly my brain is like refusing to see her as this evil assassin that has no heart and that's kind of how she seems to be going in the show, which is awesome and and like very cool to see. But but it is it, it, it's exciting and exhilarating in that way. But other than that, it makes my heart sad. I'm very sad for her. So unless that's what they want, um, I can't see this is going another way for her. You know, if they want the audience to be sad for, for this girl, I guess they got it. <laughs> Stephanie? Um, well, first of all, Susan, I like that theory. I hadn't heard that one either. That was pretty interesting. Um, but in regards to Aria in the show, I think they kind of did. They just jumped ahead with her storyline. Um, I think they figured out, okay, we're taking too long in Bravo, so we need to move this forward. So that's why it just went so quickly. And, you know, I was kind of perplexed by how quickly she recovered from her deadly stab wound and how she just kind of hopped on the ship and was in Westeros all of a sudden. Um, so I think they just sped her timeline up really quickly. Um, and I, I do kind of like her taking over the Lady Stoneheart and killing Freys and kind of being a killer. Um, it doesn't make me as sad as it makes Kelly. I think Arya, I think, I think it kind of works for her. And I think she'll make her way to Winterfell and maybe go mess up some White Walkers um, somehow. Um, but I, After she I, meets I up with Nymeria, right? Yeah. After oh, meets- my God. Yes. <laughs> I forgot about Nymeria and her pack of wolves. But we haven't seen Nymeria or her pack of wolves in the show. But that would be pretty good if she met up with her dire wolf and they just went to mess up some people, I'd be all for it. <laughs> I want her to meet up with Nymeria and come back to Ari being Arya again. That's what I want in the show. Um, in the books, I'd feel like, uh, I feel like it's probably going to go pretty close to the same route. Um, let's go to you, Bubba. Well, just as everyone's saying, you know, the show is a lot of times, what you would call cutting to the chase, let's get to it. I think everybody has believed for quite a while that Arya is going to end up back in Westeros. We all know, or assume, I should say, that she's not going to spend the rest of her life in Bravo. And so the show found a very inelegant way of her just being able to say, okay, you know what, this isn't for me later, and then hopping on a boat and getting back home. George would never do something so inelegant for lack of a better word. Uh, But the fact that they just did it, I'm glad she's back in Westeros. So it's like, yeah, thank God. Let's get on with it. To be honest, I think in the Cersei, uh, Faith Militant, and Terrell situation, the show also took what you would call a shortcut, a get on with it moment. And okay, let's just blow them all up. 
but that was an elegant way to end the story and to quote unquote get on with it. So, uh, you know, I would have bet money that Arya would be heading back to Westeros probably uh, somewhere in the upcoming novel, The Winds of Winter. I love that the preview chapter showed us this uh, acting troupe that Arya is with in Bravos, and I love that this, how the show showed us that acting troupe. And so uh, I, I guess I, I, I'm just glad the show. I wish they could have, you know, made this transition of her back to her homeland uh, smoother and more elegant. But the fact they did it, I'm glad. Like, yes, I want the story to move. That's my general thought on art. Do you guys think the the way that they had Arya kind of rebel and escape is how it'll kind of turn out in the book? Do you guys have another theory, or do you just think it'll be more elegant? I had an an issue with, like, her escaping the House of Black and White, you mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I had an issue with that just because, you know, they're deadly assassins. I don't think they're just going to let her, you know, cut the face off the waif and then just kind of walk out and go back home. Um, right. She has her trade secret. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, so she just can't, like, just be like, okay, like, I killed this girl, bye. Um, I don't think Jackin or the kindly man would stand for that. So that was one issue that I did have with the with the show, that it was just like, well, wait, these are, like, super fancy magical assassins. She just can't up and walk out of there. <laughs> Yeah, she's a novice. Yeah, she's like a novice somehow, like, and she escaped that. But unless that's what they wanted, it seems really strange that she was able to pull yeah. that off. Clearly, you all didn't listen to my two Aria podcasts because I, I feel like in the sh- I, I feel like in the show, it was Jockin's intention all along to allow her to get the skills and leave. Yeah, well, that's oh, that's what I'm saying. Unless it was intended. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, hey, Matt, we listened. We just didn't agree. Well, I just wanted to make it sound like it was my yeah. idea. <laughs> Matt, I like that idea. I, I, I kind of agree with you on that. Um, the only thing... As uh, far as the show goes. Now, as far as the books yeah. go, Susan, I, I, I have no idea. I agree with right. you in the t- context of the books. No, she can't exactly do that. But I right. do feel like she's going to get back to Westeros, yeah. Right, yeah. I just, I think that Jack did want her to gain the skills. The thing that just really, that whole thing with the waif, I think that it was uh, an example of how poorly that was handled was the fact that the week between when that whole thing started and when it ended, we were all coming up with these wild, crazy theories about how this was going to work out because it just didn't make any sense. Mm. Yes. Yeah, and we've never come up with wild, crazy theories. Okay, now back to who wrote the pink letter. All right, so the pink letter was written by a ghost monster. For, oh, wait. And we're all butthurt when our theories don't come out to be right. This is an extreme. I, I, I remember even I even retweeted a, uh, a screenshot of the shadow uh of a of of a, a screenshot of, of a shadow behind Arya and, and and somebody saying it's Serial Pharrell it's Serial Pharrell <laughs> I I jumped on that bandwagon I loved it man I thought this is great this is crazy it's not Serial Pharrell but this is great I'm gonna retweet this it's fantastic <laughs> it's hype for a reason guys it's hype for a reason 
it's all yeah you know that the heck man we got us we got us some uh additional uh, additional tweets uh <laughs> additional followers for that tweet actually i think <laughs> I, um, bought, I bought that she gave the young actress her face and that's why she got stabbed so badly because she didn't realize the young, it was, that was the young actress that got stabbed by uh by the uh waif instead of aria <laughs> yeah well, we all bought into it. We were, we were grasping for anything. Yeah. But in the end, it, in the end, it was just time compression. Yeah. Let's move on, guys, because uh, we've been going for a long time, and we still got a few subjects to tackle here. Uh, Bubba mentioned it just a little earlier, but just real quickly, um, if we can, uh, the Terrell fate. We have Mace. We have Marjorie. We have Loris all dying in the sept in the show at the hands of Cersei. Um, do we feel like that that's possibly their fate in the books as well? Maybe not in the same way, of course, but uh, for Cersei to somehow be able to take Marjorie and, and the rest of the Tyrells out, save the Queen of Thorns. Let's start with you, Bubba. Quickly, I think, yes, the Tyrells are doomed. Uh, I think if we're not talking about it, but if you follow some season seven spoilers it even kind of implies some of the things george has implied about the Terrells in the later book so they're doomed they will not die in a uh, wildfire explosion in the sept we know that in the book wildfire was removed from under the sept but long story short yeah i love the Terrells, but uh, they're doomed right on how about you kelly uh, I think they might get rolled into the Fagon um, storyline and be doomed in that from that angle. But since they don't have Fagon in the show, they went with the giant spectacular explosion method of <laughs> extermination, which is very effective. Um, and uh, it was great for show, but I, I don't think that'll be the way that Cersei um, gets anything that she wants in the books. I think it'll be more... There'll be a lot more of the long, long dialogue than Bubba Lung. <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> yep. Susan, how about you? Um, yeah, I agree that, you know, Marjorie and Mace are, are doomed. I don't know about Morris, uh, in terms of, you know, where we we're got this question about him being out on Dragonstone and was he burned or you know, what's his status. I do think that the other two Tyrell brothers, Willis and Garland, are going to play some longer role in the story going forward. So I don't think that necessarily the whole house of Tyrell is going to die out like in the in the show. But I do think that that uh, Marjorie and Mace are definitely doomed. And one little quick aside is that I just learned this little historical fact this week about the name Tyrell. I don't know if you all are aware of this or not, but... Uh, Apparently, going back to War of the Roses connections with George, that it was a, a someone under the name with the name Tyrell under King Richard III that is thought to be responsible for the killing of the two princes in the tower, possibly. So that was uh, I didn't know there was a historical Tyrell before, so I just uh, thought that was a cool little detail I picked up. Susan is the best tidbit. <laughs> I did not know this. George isn't writing anything new. He's just taking stuff and just rewriting yeah. it. That's all it is. Okay. Uh, why don't we then move on to Lannister fates? Because we've had Marcella and Tommen both killed in the show. They're not dead yet in the books. Um, what are some possibilities that 
could have that happen. Uh, it's still we still have the looming prophecy um, for Cersei in the books, and it, we've seen it come to fruition in the show. Um, Kelly, what do you think? Uh, how will Marcella and Tommen die? Oh, uh, Tommen will probably die by the um, the, the sand snake that ended up going to uh, King's Landing. Is my my best guess because I, I think they might have played that with them killing Marcella. It didn't make as much sense in the show until I thought about the sand snake going to King's Landing because it sound it seemed like they were doing all this girl power stuff in Dorne and killing Marcella doesn't seem. I guess their hatred for the Lannisters trumped their girl power mentality or something. But um, yeah, so I think killing Tommen fits more with what I believe of, of their, their um, uh, mentality is that they have no problem killing the boy. But uh, so I think that'll be a sand snake uh, activity. And then, but Marcella, I guess she could just die of, exposure i don't know how she's out in the the desert so there's something like that something unintentional i think will be the, the mm. her her soft upbringing has not prepared her for a, a desert travel i don't know <laughs> something like gotcha. that gotcha. Yeah. uh susan how about you uh yes this is, this is what i was saying before about the sand snakes i think that uh one or both of those children will be killed by the sand snakes who are going to king's landing and possibly uh, Marcella on the way to King's Landing, but uh, yes, there, or the other possibility that I've heard bandied about that could be, uh, could make some sense is uh, uh, John Connington as they uh, take over King's Landing, the fact that he has said that he wants to end the usurper's line for good and all is one of his uh, quotes uh, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and put uh, Reagan's, Rhaegar's son on the throne, so um, that may foreshadow him having a role in that. So those are the two ideas I have. Just slap him, and he'll have some grayscale. That'll do it. (laughs) Uh, Bubba, what you got? Well, just kind of repeating what everybody else said, we know they're doomed. They've been doomed for quite a while. I would say we also would think that the book Tommen is too young to commit suicide. And so uh, I think personally, the one area I guess I would disagree with uh, some of the other comments is I do think Cersei has to have a hand, uh, a role in their death, or at least in the last one alive step one way or another. I don't know how that is, but I think she has to have a role in it. And, what that will be, you know, we'll find out. Mm-hmm. Hey, Stephanie, uh, what do you think about the Lannister fate? Um, the kids, um, I definitely agree with everyone else that they're pretty much doomed from the prophecy. Um, I like Bubba's point that um, Tommen in the book is too young to commit suicide because he's like, I think only eight or something. Um but, uh, yeah, I pretty much agree with everyone else. Let's go on to thinking about this, though, as far as, and this is, I know, something that Bubba has pondered a lot, so I'll go to you first. Tommen and Marcella are dead. Would Cersei be able to take over the throne? She's not really an heir to the throne, but she is the nearest relative to anyone who last had it. So, 
I mean, are we looking at uh, you'd have to have Gendry or um, I can't remember the 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 Baratheon bastard, the girl who's in the veil. One of them would have to be legitimized if you were going by these Maya rules. Maya Stone, exactly right. Uh, Maya Stone. <laughs> okay. Let, 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 me just, uh, let me just jump in, Matt, and say that George R. R. Martin has said, and I'm going to take him on his word at this, that there are going to be several more people on the throne before the you know before this book series is done. So several more people and two more books. Uh, who could it be? Well, to get a bunch more, because we've really only had three. We've had Robert. Is Grace King Joffrey and Usurper Thomas. So, how can you get many more through? Well, I think you do need somebody uh, or unorthodox, for a lack of a better word. Maybe not Cersei, but if you, if we assume Fagon might get it for a bit. You assume uh, based on the sample chapter, and if people don't like sample chapters, uh, you know, skip ahead thirty seconds. But you assume maybe even Euron might get there based on the vision Dampier had. So. Yeah, I could see Cersei just at a certain point just claiming it by force. I don't think Cersei even on the show is doing it because she believes she has the right. I think she's just doing it by force. And so uh, let me say I could see Cersei taking that seat. All right. Well, let's go to uh, you, Stephanie. What do you think? Who 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 would sit the, try to take the throne if both Tommen and Marcella were gone? I mean, I can definitely see Cersei trying, but I feel like there's so many other pieces in the book. You know, the Tyrells are still alive. I know you guys talked about that, that they all kind of got wiped out. Um, the High Sparrow's still alive. Um, you know, I feel like in the books, there'd be so many obstacles for Cersei to overcome. And yeah, she does have, you know, the mountain to kill everybody for her and do her bidding. Um, but, you know, maybe Marjorie might try to take over in the books because in the show she's dead, but in the books, you know, she's Tommen's wife. So she might say, look, I'm queen here I am. And then, you know, something terrible could happen that at Cersei's hands and then Cersei takes over. But I think Marjorie will try to rule um, after presumably the children die. <laughs> Interesting. Very good. How about you, Susan? Um, I do like that dream that Cersei has at the beginning of uh, Feast where she's sitting on the Iron Throne with Tyrion capering in front of her and uh, that she starts getting caught up by the throne and everything. So I don't know. You know, she might make it there. Uh, The other scenario that I see is, as I am a firm believer in the idea that uh, Aegon and John Connington are going to... um, uh, take over in King's Landing from the Lannisters, that it could be that she doesn't have the time to do that, that all of that is happening at the time that uh, her last uh, child is being killed. So, uh, And then the younger, more beautiful queen being Arion Martell, who comes with uh, Fagon. Interesting. Very good. Uh, Kelly, last word. Oh, blowing my mind with your theories, Susan. You know so much. I I literally almost never think of the Iron Throne. So I, I, I just accept what the show gave us is that Cersei takes over the throne. Um, and then after that, uh, if there are supposedly multiple other people that take it, like Danny could sit on it. But my end game mind is always that there is no more Iron Throne at the end. So whoever takes it in between Cersei and any and when it's 
demolished, I feel like they're going to be like the king for a day or queen for a day, and then it's gone. So whoever it is that liberates Westeros, I think, will, will be, whether it's Fagon, Danny, John, Arya, Sansa, whoever it is, will be the last person to sit on it. And that's the, the plural people after Tommen. Right on. Very good. Let's uh let's move on then to uh, another thought that came up in season six towards the I guess the middle to the end of season six and that's um the return of Benjen. First of all, do you feel like that the way that uh no matter how you feel about whether Benjen is cold hands or not, do we feel like that how Benjen survived is at least a reasonable explanation as to why book cold hands is still around even if he is very old let's tackle that one first uh let's go to you kelly yeah i don't understand i guess how they justified benjamin being cold hands except they just wanted fan service so that's fine and that's great and i accept that and we got free pies and we got Benjamin. I show is done its duty and that's all i can expect from it but for the book that that's I think very likely not Benjen and Benjen has some other role to play. So, okay. um, I, yeah, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And as far as, okay. as far as cold hands being able to survive, was he aided by the children of the forest the same way that Benjen was, do you think, regardless of who he is? Yeah, he seems allied with them. So it seems, and he's doing Blood Raven's bidding by bringing, um, brand to him. So I think that there's some, at least, we're not the others, so we must at least work it together a little bit, whether there's actually an alliance between them all in one way or another. Um, but yeah, they, they're just this, the, the Benjamin having been helped by the children, fine, and Cold Hands having the same storyline, fine. <laughs> Very good. Uh, we've had these discussions before. I've had this with many people about, you know, the, this note to the editor that Dave, but Dave and Dan directly called Binge and Cold Hands. And like Kelly said, it may have just been fan service. Or could it be that George was just merely lying to his editor? And if uh, Cold Hands, even if he isn't Benjamin in the books, um, was the explanation as to how Cold Hands could even be around satisfactory for you? Okay. Um, I, I do agree that it was fan service and um, you know, regarding his note to the editor, I, I think that's a really interesting tidbit that you, you brought up. Um, I don't think George was lying to his editor. I think Dave and Dan just did what they wanted. And, you know, okay. I think, you know, they, yeah, they've just done what they wanted. Um, I was kind of excited to see Benjamin cause you know what we saw, him, I think in episode one and that was it. And then, you know, he pops up five seasons later and it was kind of like, oh, hey, there he is. Um, so it was it was cool to see him. But I think like it was mostly like deus ex machina, but with Benjamin and cold hands. I like, yeah, it was just fan service, but it was OK. <laughs> Very good. Susan, what do you got? I think they took the ball in their own hands. I don't think George was lying. I think that they've combined cold hands with Benjamin. Um, I'm hoping that we will get some explanation about cold hands eventually in the book, or I mean about Benjamin eventually in the book, that we'll know a little bit about what happened to him. Um, but um, I do think that they just were combining characters for the sake of not introducing this 
strange character, Rodney Elk, they brought back in someone that the fans were familiar with and happy to see again. Now, Bubba, if I recall from our Feast Dance tandem read, you had determined that uh, Cold Hands was actually time traveling Jon Snow, time traveling dead Jon Snow. <laughs> so, do you still believe that? Matt, if you reveal my secret theories, then no one will have a reason to go back and download those old shows. So let's just say that might be it. <laughs> uh, actually, I thought it was time traveling brand, but sure. I, I Just to be succinct, I agree with everybody. I think the showrunners combine two characters, and so that's why they were actually saying both characters' names. Benjamin Colton. Mm-hmm. That's my thought. Right on. Were you were you okay with the reason? I mean, does that seem like a plausible explanation as to why Cold Hands would still be around, even if he's if he's a, maybe a six seven hundred year old corpse? Yeah, sure. Right, right Magic on. has a plan, baby. Right on. Uh, we've got this one from I am King underscore forty five via Twitter, uh, and I love this because. Um, I am King had expressed that he liked the fact that whether Marjorie was involved in the purple wedding or not seems more ambiguous in the books. Obviously in the show, um, she seemed pretty oblivious about it until the queen of thorns tells her, um, which do you like better? Do you like the, do you like the idea that Marjorie had no involvement at all? Um, do you think that she did have any involvement at all? Let's go to you, Kelly. I, I liked seeing her, uh, progression on screen as she went from being maybe slightly protected, but also still learning from her grandmother at that time to definitely capable and slightly on the nicer side of manipulative. I don't want to straight up call her manipulative because it really was just self-preservation most of the time. But the, the, in the show or in the book, she did, she did have um, not, she did not seem as, capable as she did in the show. So it's that weird mix of like, it seems like she was able to grow beyond her book character within like an episode of the show um, and surpassed her. Whereas in the show, maybe it's just not as evident on page that she is as capable and manipulative. Um, and it's not all her grandma doing it, but uh, I, I prefer the, the show Marjorie um, that we get to kind of see her progression and learning. Very good. Character. All right. Uh, how about you, Stephanie? Well, I have a special affinity for Natalie Dormer, so I prefer her, the show Marjorie as well. Uh, but I do, I like the idea that she was involved in the plot. Um, that makes her a little more sinister, a little more interesting. Um, and like I said, I, I love Natalie Dormer. I think she's amazing. Um, I think it gives her a little more spice to know that she she was like plotting against her new husband at their wedding. Um, I, I like it. Very good. Uh, how about you, Susan? Uh, yes, I do think that in the books, Marjorie was in on the whole thing because of the fact that she was sharing that cup with Joffrey. I think that the family would want to have been in a position to have given her some sort of warning to not be drinking out of the it anymore after the poison had been inserted. Interesting. And uh, I didn't Ooh. have it in our notes here, but I am King underscore 45. It brought up that same point. So I like that. Bubba, uh, you know, this is the gal who 
might have possibly taken out your king. What are you going to say to that? <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to ignore your trying to bait me, trying to bait me about his craze. <laughs> and instead say that, you know, I may be completely alone on this, but I've always felt that the only difference between show Marjorie and book Marjorie is age and show Marjorie is getting a POV with book Marjorie. I, I think the characters are too similar. So I, I know people have that feeling. I never thought book Marjorie was involved in the Purple Wedding. And so the fact that show Marjorie wasn't, to me, that made logical sense. Very good. Very good. And uh, we've covered Will Shireen die. We've covered uh, Will Doran die, or, or at least we briefly touched on those. So let's move on, Baba, to Rickon. I mean, give us, give us your thoughts here about Rickon. Is he really a shaggy dog story in the books? Well, it's very funny that it wasn't until the show, and to be honest, uh, a couple years ago on the show, that I really put the name of Rick and Direwolf, Shaggy Dog, together with the infamous Shaggy Dog uh, story literary device. And now the way that Rickon got dispensed so kind of haphazardly on the show, man, oh man, I am worried that the, that name Shaggy Dog is actually Martin kind of laying a little hint as to what he meant with the character. And so... My question is for everybody. Does Rickon really have a story, a real story to play in the end of this saga? To be honest, I never really thought he, he had much of one. Martin hasn't given him much time as a character through all these books. And then to see the show kind of take him out so suddenly, so kind of well, well, afterthought, I, I just think, okay, this, this is a Shaggy Dog story, probably for Martin as well. That was my thought. Here, here's my answer. Here's my answer, and then I'll go to you, Kelly, and we can just go around um, to then Susan and then Stephanie. My answer is yes. I believe that Rickon is a Shaggy Dog story, and I think that that means the end for Davos as well. No. Wow. Yeah. How about you, Kelly? Well, for those who don't know what the Shaggy Dog story is, because I just had to Google that because I'm not as smart as Matt and Bubba, apparently. <laughs> The extremely long-winded anecdote characterized by extensive narration of typically irrelevant incidences and terminated by an anticlimax or a pointless punchline. That's so disheartening to read, but so feels so true for Rickon. Would he be so obvious? I don't think George would be so obvious. I have to soak this in for a second, guys. That's blowing my mind. You guys are too smart for me. And I think I might have to agree with you. <laughs> Well, sad. That's awesome. I learned something today. Thank you, Bubba. That's it. <laughs> I'm going to cry now. <laughs> oh, boy. While, while we're waiting, I'll share the fact that I don't, I, I agree. I think that Rickon is a, a, a shaggy dog as well, though I do think we're going to see Davos bring him back. But then I don't think he's gonna. His story is gonna amount to anything. I was gonna say Kelly said she was gonna start crying now. I remember just crying so hard when I don't who was it the car Stark or someone threw Shaggy Dog's head on uh, in in the show. And I remember everybody saying, "No, that's not Shaggy Dog. That's too small. That can't happen. This is all like part of the conspiracy." You know, we were all 
<laughs> up in arms, you know, hoping that it really wasn't happening, um, that it really wasn't Shaggy Dog's head and Rickon really wasn't betrayed by the car Starks or whoever. And, you know, and then it turned out to be true. And then, you know, Rickon doesn't bob and weave. He just runs in a straight line and gets killed. It's like, man, you know, it was disappointing. And I, I, I agree with everyone that he is a Shaggy Dog, but, you know, we were hoping he wasn't. <laughs> I was hoping he wasn't. Yeah, it, it could it could be that uh, Davos Davos's fate does not have to be tied to him, and that he has been going off on a on a wild goose chase, a wild shaggy dog chase, where he doesn't uh, um, participate. He doesn't participate in the fighting, and then comes back and and delivers Rickon or not. And either way, he just avoided all of the fighting and just has to deal with the consequences. Hopeful voice, maybe? The, the last <laughs> sentence of the last Davos POV will be, as the oh. cold overtook him and this and his eyes darkened, he thought he saw a unicorn? Question mark. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Matt. We got to trim these characters, man. You're cold blooded. Yeah, <laughs> oh, man. I'm telling you, George, get to work. Uh, I got it for you. There you go. Use it. I won't even take a, a cre- writing credit. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> Bubba, you've got another one for us. What is it? All right. So this one is a true book spoiler, and that is you know, my favorite moment of season six: the tragic ending of our boy Willis probably Walder in the book, a.k.a. Hodor. And so I was throwing out a question for everybody, and that is, what door in the book will will Hodor hold the door on? My first thought is somehow that the door he's holding in the book could be the Black Gate, the infamous uh, pathway which allowed Bran and his companions to get north of the wall in the book. And I was thinking, well, maybe that'll be the door Hodor holds the door on. But if anybody had any other ideas, I'd love to hear them. Anybody have any guesses as to when Hodor's hold the door moment will happen in the book? Uh, I'd love to hear too, because once again, that was my, uh, you know, kind of the moment that really blew me away. What do you think, Stephanie? Oh, that's such a good idea. I never, I haven't thought about what door he's going to hold. Um, so I, I, let me ask you this, Bubba. Is the black gate that you're talking about, is that the one that's made out of weirwood? Yeah. Or isn't yeah, there a door? That, yeah, I was going to That That's my own Don't, guess, but, you know, it could be any door. It could be any door. It could be one at Winterfell. Um, yeah. Oh, man. That's, yeah. I, I'm not sure. Um, I like the idea of the black gate. Cause that's what I immediately thought of the weirwood door at the wall since they're already up there. Um, I don't know, but that's, that, that has me thinking. I really like that. Also makes me sad though. Yeah. It makes us all sad. What do you think, Susan? I do seem to remember that when that episode happened, that there was some comment from George that in the books, it'll be a little bit different. So I do think that there will be some, changes. I like Bubba's idea about the Black Gate. I think that would be very interesting and I really don't have any other uh, ideas or anything else to add to that. Kelly, got a notion? 
Uh, my only question is that we're just all assuming that it's not going to be how it was in the show. Like there's not going to be a random door in a network of tunnels <laughs> suddenly. <laughs> no, you're right. It, it could be. It, it's just, it, it's so weird to be honest, way back at the beginning of season six, I guess the second episode when they introduced that that place had a door, you know, like, right. Oh, wait a minute. This cave has a door. <laughs> And so, they brought in hinges. And, right, exactly. So it felt <laughs> weird. Like, it almost felt, and I guess this question is coming from the idea that it felt like the show did just kind of add a door so they could have the hold the door moment then. But, but you're completely right. It could happen almost identical when, when Bran and, and Mira have to escape uh, the children of the forest. So, oh, my gosh. And Bran doesn't have his wolf now either. Oh, mm, Yeah. Dead direwolves. The death of summer, though, that was that was a, a nice metaphor. I thought. Yes, I do too. Yeah. Um, I don't have an idea for a door. <laughs> I, I I don't feel I I remember Susan. I remember you uh, that that comment that George made that it wouldn't be exactly the same. So I I don't feel like it it'll be in that way either. But I. The the black gates as good a guess as as any for me. I don't I don't have a clue, to be perfectly honest. Um, real quick, yay or nay? And there's no reason to elaborate on this, but uh, will Tyrion become hand of the queen in the books? Let's go to you, Bubba. Yay. Stephanie. Yay. Kelly. Yay, question mark. Oh, no. She's got, always got to make it so that... Yeah. Um, I'll and, say nothing else. I just say yay, question mark. Okay. And Susan, what do you think? Yay. And I say yay as well. Last... Uh, oh, two more. Here we go. Um, what about this whole Jane Talisa switch that the show did way back? And now we're looking at the fact that Jane uh, Westerling is still alive in the books, and this is something that people have probably already talked about, but she's killed in the Red Wedding, um, and the possibility of her being pregnant in the books. Um, but if the sh- books do kill Jane, is it possible that she could be killed when taken to Castle Rock by the Brotherhood? Wouldn't that be a nice fitting irony for the Brotherhood and Lady Stoneheart. Um, or is it possible, as uh, we had a gentleman who uh, sent in a whole bunch of theories during our Feast Dance tandem read about where Jane Westerling actually was. Did she possibly escape the same way the Blackfish did or uh, Brienne and Pod did on the show? Um, so do do we see any implications to the... Uh, George has kind of promised that uh, we're going to at least see her in one more uh, chapter. I, was it the prologue of the Winds of Winter? I think perhaps. Um, yeah. That's, that's yeah. So uh, what do we think is going on there? I mean, could Jane still affect the story? Um, should we just take the Talisa thing as um, uh, a way to make the Red Wedding more tragic, tragic for the television show? Uh, let's go to you first, Stephanie. You know, I think that they made such a point of it in the show of her being stabbed in the stomach and, you know, she was pregnant and everything. I don't think that Jane, her book counterpart, is pregnant or 
is going to have that much of a significant impact on the story just because, you know, they pretty much wiped out Rob and his line, um, you know, in the show. So to bring, to have that story continue, I think in the book would be cool, but I just, I, I don't see it happening. Very cool. And then uh, that would mess up the Grand Northern Conspiracy. <laughs> that would that would throw a wrench in it. Uh, definitely would throw <laughs> yeah. a wrench in it for sure. Um, well, maybe not for the conspiracy itself, not for the theory, but um, then the, no. the re- end result would be something rather drastic yes. for sure. Uh, what do you think, Susan? Um, I don't really favor this because uh, it just seems to me that if uh, Jane was pregnant, that that would add a complication to the story that just doesn't seem to make sense to me because what are they going to do with Rob's heir? And uh, I, I agree. I think it would just add complications. The only thing that the only reason that I could see that entering into the story is if there was something about her being pregnant and then being killed, because I just don't think the child could, could uh, make any sense to what's going forward with the story. But that just complicates it to me. I think that, uh, you know, we're going to see her in that one chapter, whether she ends up uh, dying then or not, I don't know, but um, I don't think she's pregnant or going to have a child. Very good. And Bubba? I've never thought Jane Westerling was pregnant. I think if I, you know, if I really had to go to Vegas, I would bet that the prologue chapter in a group, uh, sorry, uh, The Winds of Winter is from this character, Forley Crester, who is the knight who's been charged with bringing her and Edmure to Castle of Rock. I do believe they will get sacked by the Brotherhood Without Banners. Will Jane die in a Brotherhood Brothers Without Banners now led by Lady Stoneheart attack? Oh, boy, that would be dark. Uh, and George has said that this next book is going to have a lot of dark chapters. Uh, I, I would bet Jane has a 50-50 chance of getting out of the prologue, but she really doesn't have much to do with what I keep referring to, kind of the end game. Right on. And Kelly? Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to have a consequence uh, that kind of reverberates very well. I think it will have uh, some maybe impact on other characters, and the only ones I can think of would be like Blackfish or... Uh, Lady Stoneheart, like Bubba said, that's the only thing I could think of is that there's a Lady Stoneheart appearance and she confronts Jane about, are you pregnant? If you're not, then you were in on it. If you are, then uh, that turns Lady Stoneheart around from vengeance to productivity or something. But seeing how it didn't, um, the show, you know, stab that right in the baby maker, I think it's going to be something that is consequential for a character that's gone, which could be either Blackfish or... (laughs) Lady Stoneheart, which is why I say those names. Very good. Right on. Kelly, you've got the last subject for us to tackle here real quickly. Yeah, there were a couple of of variations from the plots from the book up at the wall. Now, the show had did not have a baby swap with Gilly. Um, And I don't know if anyone can think of a consequence that that would have or if that implies anything about the baby in the book versus the baby in the show. What do you guys think? Uh, Matt, you can leave because I'm not ready. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think uh, I've, as far as as the Bill, Gilly baby swap, I think that that's an important storyline for Sam and for Gilly. 
I don't know how important it's going to be ultimately for Val or anybody else. Um, again, that might play more into the Melisandre thing and King's Blood and all of that, and that was the whole reason that they did it. Um, so I'll just leave it at that. What do you think, Stephanie? I I, I agree. I find the implication again. I keep using that word about the King's mm-hmm. Blood and Val. Um, I find that most interesting. I think Val is really an interesting person and we don't know that much about her in the books. Um, I know she's not part of the show at all, but, um, you know, I, 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 I like the, the King's blood part, um, that Matt mentioned. And, you know, that baby in the show, he's like five now, but he's still a baby. So I think that's kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Susan. When we brought up about, Craster's sons before, and remember how they were coming. Uh, the when uh, Gilly had the baby, the you know Craster's sons were coming. You know the baby that's left at the wall is actually Gilly's baby. That's actually Craster's last son. So would there be any implication with the White Walkers and that child? Hmm. Interesting. Ooh. That would that could be a possible ramification. Uh, Bubba, you want to go, and then we'll let Kelly wrap that question up. Yeah, I I like Val. I see. Her, I understand why the show didn't include her. That did just feel like a, a complication as opposed to uh, important plot points. So I hope I hope that the White Walkers. You know, I hope they see their little brother in Gilly's baby and uh, kill him gently. <laughs> Kelly, did you did you collect your thoughts on that? My only consequential thought was that it wouldn't give Sam or Gilly an incentive to go back to the wall. And at this point, like in the books, they obviously have that very strong maternal incentive to go back and switch the babies back or just make sure her offspring as well. But since they don't have that in the show, I wonder if that's kind of a tragic implication that they're not going to ever go back to the wall because um, they don't have the... I mean, besides for maybe a John motivation for Sam, uh, I don't see I don't see Gilly having the motivation to go back to the wall. So that was the only difference that I saw um, that that could imply. Um, so the only other one that was at the wall was the Rattle Man. There's no Lance Raider anymore, <laughs> uh, but we do have uh, the Rattle Shirt um, switcheroo happening in the book. So does anyone see a consequence with that happening? Matt, tell me. Oh, yeah. I think I think that the fact that Matt is still alive in the books will have huge ramifications on what happens at Winterfell, uh, regardless of the pink letter. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I uh, because I, I just feel like that, that there's still much to be um, much to be gleaned from from his character yet, uh, because he is much more tied in with Jon Snow uh, in the books than that was ever presented in the show. Although I thought that they did a pretty good job in the show of having the two of them, uh, find a, a, a mutual respect, but I, I feel like there's something more in the books. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to Mance still being part of the books. Anybody else? And uh, well, Me well, too. 
while we're talking about like the difference between the show and the book is like, do you think him being dead in the show is not promising for, for Rattlemans in the book? Oh, I, I think that, I think that probably that's true, but I still think he has a role to play before that happens. Okay. Wait, Kelly, you don't think... I um, call it a short role. He's dead. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) I was going to say, Kelly, you don't think that Mance is Rhaegar? (laughs) Well, (laughs) Uh, well, clearly not in the show. Clearly, in the show, there won't be the flashback for that. Uh, Still a chance in the book, but yeah, it's just curious that they didn't do that. I was holding out for it, and nope, there was no no switcheroo. So the the switcheroos were were not uh, were not a, a. Big hit on the wall. They were. <laughs> they did go. They were zero switcheroos. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's my 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 curiosity. I just wanted to make sure we touched on those a little bit because the 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 Mance Raider, I feel like, is the only thing that show watchers will get the surprise for in the books. Um, I guess ladies don't hurt too, but yeah, those those two things are kind of like <laughs> guaranteed to not happen in the show. Uh, Maybe, maybe, probably. <laughs> yeah. Susan, any thoughts on Rattlemance? Um, I just think that his fate is going to be tied into how much uh, the reality of Pink Letter is in terms of him being in a cell wearing the skins of the uh, uh, spear wives. Uh, if that's true, then I don't think I, I agree with Bob. They probably don't have a very, very long uh, story to go. I just wanted to say one thing that we didn't touch on, and I won't take long with this because it's already going so long, but two characters that are, I think, different from the show to the book were uh, Melisandre and uh, the Three-Eyed Raven in terms of their ages. You know, they talked about them on the show, like that the Three-Eyed Raven has been sitting there waiting for Bran like for a thousand years, and they, with the reveal with how old Melisandre is, in the show, in the first uh, episode, I think that may be different than how old she is in the book. So I just wanted to bring that up as a potential difference as well. Yeah, that's a good point to bring up. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Not about the ages, but I think that I guess I do believe Melisandre is somehow not going to be in the North at a certain point in how she gets South. It'll be interesting to see how that goes down in the uh it'll be interesting to see how that goes down in the book yeah but yeah my kind of my point in bringing that up too is I, and i know that bubba doesn't like this theory but the theory about melisandre possibly being a child of uh the uh three-eyed raven uh or a blood raven from you know some of those theories again they would be much younger than the characters were portrayed on the show i mean they'd still be a lot older than their you know like melisandre is portrayed she'd still be you know maybe you know, a hundred years old or something, but not like three or four hundred years old, like they suggested. So does that does that yeah. still bring into play the Sierra Sea Star theory as well? Right, exactly. <laughs> okay. Right, that, that Sierra okay. would be the, the mother and and uh, Bloodraven her father, and that you know that her the way she's described combines their features and the fact that she recognizes Bloodraven in her visions and a few other things. Gotcha, gotcha. Anybody else on that? Those just seem like really awesome book flavor things that a show who doesn't have the patience to get into. Unfortunately, I can't think of any other consequence besides like that's a blooper, that's a goof for the show uh, <laughs> to 
Yeah, you know, it's a little bit poor writing. <laughs> there was a raven from King's Landing. Feedback. Firstly, we have an email from Tori, uh, and this is about Azor Ahai, who says, Azor Ahai was known to temper the steel of his sword in the breast of the woman he loves. Sir Jorah is the only character who has a character that he deeply and truly loves. Danny is his niece Nisa. Danny promised him a Valerian steel sword upon being named her Queen's Guard, which he has yet to get. Also, he has grayscale being a magical disease which might prevent the cold from the others from greatly affecting him. Please tell me whether you think there is any text evidence that might bust this theory. Uh, thank you, Tori, for the email. First of all, um, this isn't really a book question because you've combined something from the television show with the books. Jorah does not have grayscale in the books. Um so I don't know where to take this idea as far as Danny being his niece and Nisa, as we mentioned before, I personally think that, uh, if anything, Jorah is Danny's niece and Nisa. And I think Kelly agrees. Kelly does agree. I did. I totally was taking that email <laughs> up to you when we were talking about doing this earlier and I was loath to just let go with that idea because we didn't find time to make it. Uh, to meet up to do it, and I was like, I'll just email it to him. <laughs> I'm glad we got to actually talk about it too. So yeah. I absolutely agree. I, that would be way more satisfying for Danny's character um, to be that hero counterpart as opposed to the, the sacrifice counterpart. <laughs> and it's all metaphorical. I think was everything else I was describing with it. It's just it doesn't have to be an exact re- recreation of the story if it's an analogy of some sort. Right on. Uh, anybody else have any thoughts about this email, Bubba? Matt, I was going to say emails like this. Emails like this from Tori, their mind is my niece and niece. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Stephanie, Susan, either, <laughs> either of you? I just, like I said before, Jora would volunteer to be her niece and niece, so... <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I'm glad that you pointed out that uh, Jorah doesn't have grayscale in the book. Uh, I hadn't even thought of that when I was reading through this, but the one question that I would just say is I, I'm not sure why the idea of having grayscale would make the others not affect you. I'm wondering where the evidence for that comes from. Uh, I guess a hardened skin would keep him from uh, being touched by the White Walkers. Not necessarily killed. Yeah, I just wondered if there's if he was if he was suggesting that there was some book evidence that suggested that I I haven't seen it, so that was just my response. Very good. Or is it or is it that the white and the white walkers will see Joris Grace Fidel and go, I'm not going to touch him. You touch him. No, I'm not. Touch him. You touch him. <laughs> <laughs> ah, not touch him. Ah. <laughs> Gives him chance to rain fire down Poor on him from above the way Cersei would, right? <laughs> Um, now this one is in response to one of our Grand Northern Conspiracy podcasts uh, eloquently put together by Kelly and John and meticulously and beautifully read by Susan and Mike and John and Kelly and made a fool of by myself here we go (laughs) Shadowcat Bex says hello from the frozen tundra of Brooklyn 
Uh, I think this was written during the cold. Thanks again for another fantastic episode. The GNC is what pushed me to the dark side of A Song of Ice and Fire nerddom. The readings were truly inspired and the discussion insightful. Good job, team. Yay, team! Um, overall, I agree with the assessment that the GNC is not one conspiracy, but two lines of action. The first starting in the Riverlands and Rob's Will, and the second in the North and the fight for Winterfell. What I find most fun about the GNC is figuring out, tinfoil or otherwise, where the two will meet. I won't go into each thread since you all did it in much better detail than I ever could, but I want to give my thoughts on two main points. Overall, I think the North Winterfell storyline is the much more conspiratorial one of the two, starting with the Manderley's possession of Wax and the knowledge of the living Stark boys. If my understanding of the timeline is correct, they would have more time to spread that knowledge between the other houses versus the knowledge of Rob's will. Even if the news of Rob's will has reached Manderley and Glover by the time they head out for Winterfell, they probably would be more interested in having a trueborn Stark in their hands as opposed to Jon Snow. Side note, I have never read the conversation between Manderley and Davos regarding Ramsay's bastardy being a hatred of bastards in general, just their disgust for Ramsay. I think that this knowledge is at the heart of the resistance of the Bolton rule over the North and the double cross that will happen during the Battle of Ice. I did like the catch that Manderley never comes straight out and says Rickon when referring to the Stark on Skagos, but I do think Wex would be able to tell which child was older or younger, and I do think they would have asked that detail. But as was pointed out, I don't think Manderley cares that much about which Stark he has. But we also know George R. R. Martin well enough to know that this missing detail is probably important. The other big point that I want to bring up is the knowledge of the identity of fake Arya. I know that you have touched on this, but I think it has a much bigger clue to an organized resistance than I've heard. I think that the news that Arya is fake traveled around prior to the wedding. Also, too many lords have met Arya, or at least might have the knowledge that Arya has the very distinct Stark look to see right through the ruse. That being said, I think that if it was a total surprise to the arriving nobles, someone would have said something, and loudly. Too many lords are going with the mummer's farce for me to think it is not a conspiracy. All in all, I think both of these facts have made their way through the north. That coupled with the complacency of the wedding guests and the lack of hostages all lead to the organized betrayal of the Boltons and the turning of the tide for the Battle of Ice. Viva la resistance! Okay, that's what I got. I'm guessing we'll get the, some answers after the Battle of Ice. My headcanon says that Manderley will meet up with Stannis after the battle and relay some of this information. Then Davos will show up with Rickon, and then Sansa will show up with the Knights of the Vale, and you can make five more episodes for the GNC Part 2. Thanks again for all your hard work, Shadowcat Bex. All right. Uh, so, uh, basically, a big endorsement for the GNC podcast and for uh, the theory itself. Anybody have any thoughts? Oh, sorry. I was going to go to that last point because we talked about how Rickon really might be a shaggy dog story. What if uh, Davos arrives back at White Harbor with Rickon and Shaggy Dog, only to find out that uh, Manderley has been killed and his uh, jerk sons who weren't in on the plan are there and they kill Rickon that way? Oh, 
Oh. Love, love the email, Shadowcat. That was a good email, Shadowcat. <laughs> Very good. And uh, Susan, any thought? Uh, yeah, I really, I liked it. I think he brought up a lot of good ideas. I also want to point out, Matt, that you did an excellent job of portraying Dion and some of the other voices. So uh, you you were uh, being too humble in your introduction <laughs> there. But uh, uh, I agreed with what he said about uh, the uh, uh, Manderly, um uh, talking about uh, Ramsey, that uh, they didn't really, they weren't just down on Bastards, they were down on Ramsey. That was something I, I had uh, brought up in the show, and I think he brought up some good points. I liked his ideas about uh, fake Aria. Very good. And uh, Kelly gets to fist pump last because of this ringing endorsement, <laughs> and <laughs> at the same time, shun my brand slash old nan uh, reading about the rat cook. <laughs> Awful. Absolutely fired. Oh my God, Matt. I nearly quit when I heard that rendition. <laughs> oh, that was so funny. You were so concerned that it bothered me and I was just laughing my bottom off at you. Um, <laughs> no, uh, th- that's a really good point about the, um, the, the fake aria recognition. Like that, it was just kind of hard to find like a thread to connect all of the individuals recognizing it and just, which is how I did most of that that um, episode was just trying to find a quote to tie into a, a point, which is really important to me. And there was the one quote from uh, Barbara Dustin, sorry, who who was saying that she obviously, fairly obviously, was implying that she knew that Arya was not real. But other than that, there was hard, like there's clues, but there's not contextual evidence. So very happy that somebody smart and very brilliant shadow cat called in for the 300th episode. It was very sweet to get to, to chat with her. Um, but the, uh, I'm very glad she pointed that out because I was, uh, <laughs> I was, I was gripped with ire about that and I couldn't find a way to fit it in. And, and I'm very glad she pointed that out. Thank you, Bex. <laughs> All right. And, uh, thank you very much, Bex, for the, uh, for the email. One final email. And this one is from Chad who has said, who says, I was thinking it would be great to hear from those who t- contribute to your show. What story would you like to learn more about, either in a flashback or a standalone novella? Personally, I'm rather torn between the Redgrass Field or the Battle of the Trident. I think the latter would be best. It would be cool to read about what took out the killed Lewin Martell and wounded Sir Barristan and read about Robert swinging his hammer in victory. All right, Chad, thank you. Uh, let's go to you first, Kelly. Would, uh, what story of history would you like to see George write a novella about? Uh, the War of the Nine Penny Kings is probably the most curious uh, in recent history um, event that ties into the Game of Thrones storyline a lot. Uh, it's very cool to see a lot of the, the characters in their prime and little baby Jamie, little baby Jamie getting his... <laughs> Is nice. Mm-hmm. It's very cute. Um, that was probably the top of my list. I made a list for this, and that's I'll, I'll narrow it to one for you, Matt. Oh, <laughs> thank you, uh, Susan. How about you? Um, yeah, I think the Battle of the Trident. I think that would be great. Um, I do believe that Martin has said that we're going to learn uh, what we need to about Robert's rebellion by the end of this book. So maybe there will be some flashback stuff about that um, in there, but uh, whether or not we do get it, I do think that it would be wonderful to hear about the things that he mentioned here. 
Very good. And how about uh, you, Stephanie? Uh, I think this is a really good question. Um, and I was thinking about it, and I think I'd like to, not so much as an event, but I'd like to see maybe Rhaegar's perspective, especially at the tourney at Heron Hall. So I know we've seen that a little bit, but I think seeing his inside perspective or maybe Lyanna Stark's perspective, I think that would be, I would really like to see that. Uh, and I want to go back to the God's Eye Pact. I want to see the pact between the children Ooh. and and the first men. That's what I want to see. How about you, Bubba? Well, first of all, Chad, I hope you appreciate the fact that if Martin writes about any of these things other than finishing the next two books, I'm going to come after you, Chad. Don't <laughs> But, Chad, in this imaginary world we're in, uh, because I like the current character so much, I'm, with, I'm like a lot of people. Battle of the Trident, the tournament Heron Hall would be the most thrilling. I'll go to the one that I think we might hear about, you know, uh, in 30 years, and that is the tragedy at Summer Hall. Mm. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, it'll be a dunk novella, right? Yeah, you would assume so, yeah. Yeah, right on. All right, well, thanks, everybody, for the great emails, and thanks to my panel, who have endured a marathon of a cast, uh, which will have been split into two podcasts for time constraints' sake uh, by the time we get there. <laughs> um, but uh, I do want to thank my guests for taking the time and lending their expertise. We'll start with you, Kelly, the grand author of the Grand Northern Conspiracy podcasts. Uh, as well as uh, John, we really appreciate the time you put into those last year. And how can people talk to you about A Song of Ice and Fire so that you can give the other 20 uh, in a, uh, you know, <laughs> points of history that you would like to see a novella in spreadsheet form? Of course. Uh, let me know uh, if you actually also have any additional deep, deep theories you want 20 pages of documents for. Uh, we may not make an episode of it, but I could type it up. I have idle hands these days. <laughs> Let's just say there can never be enough ideas. So send them my way and I'll, and I'll tell you whether or not I, I can make a content that I can pitch to Matt and say, we can do a year's worth of podcasts about this, right? <laughs> you can do that at Kelly Underfoot uh, on the, uh, the Twitters and I will thank you on Twitter. <laughs> Another person who is a part of the Grand Northern Conspiracy podcast, who I think we all are in agreement, was the best reader in the last edition of one. But uh, Susan, uh, your a, a song of ice and fire expertise and and your knowledge of other source material for us to dig into is always appreciated. How can people talk to you about a song of ice and fire? Sure, they can uh, join me on Twitter at Black Eyed Lily. And uh, my last comment, I want to, I believe it was Stephanie who brought up early in the podcast the idea of whether George was going to be finishing his books. And since we haven't gotten yes. a response for him or anything uh, this year yet, I do want to comment that I did hear at the Guadalajara International Book Fair, his last appearance, that uh, he did, the way he indicated it there, did make it sound like he is still busy working on it and uh, that he was... Uh, <laughs> planning to curtail his any uh, public appearances this coming year, uh, even less than he did this past year, until the book gets finished. So that was what I heard. Yeah, we've heard that before. 
Haven't we, Bubba? <laughs> yeah, I know. But I thought I'd share. That's the last I'd wait a second I've heard. Uh, we also have with us, of course, the person who has joined us on a, a great number of the Game of Thrones book reads and has been a delight to have on the podcast, Stephanie. Stephanie, how can people talk to you about Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire? Thank you, Matt. It's always fun to be talking with all of you people. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at SM Persephone. That's S M P E R S E phone. Excellent. And of course, we are always honored to have with us the founder of the Double P Podcast Network. You can find that on Facebook. He's going to tell you how in a minute as well. But he's also the host of a slew of podcasts that you can find on that network. And uh, that includes the Joffrey of podcasts as well as podcasts covering. Jonathan Strains and Mr. Norrell, The Strain on FX, as well as uh, a podcast which will be covering uh, the the new edition of what? The, the recirculation of what? Matt, if you can't remember, how are my 899 <laughs> Twitter followers going to remember? It was just a cue it's for you the to... New... Uh... Drop Twin Peaks, baby! Twin Peaks is coming back this year, 2017. 25 years after we last saw it in the movie theater, Fire Walk With Me. <laughs> if you're interested in that classic show, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, go to all your favorite podcast places and look for Twin Peaks, The Gifted and the Dam, as well as the granddaddy of all podcasts, specifically about King Joffrey Baratheon. The Joffrey Podcast, you can find that out as well. Matt. Podcast Winterfell is my niece and niece, and after four hours, I want to stab it through the heart. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, having me on again. It's been great. <laughs> great. And, uh, folks, that's it. If you want to find out how to contact me, you can follow me at Fit and Trim. That's F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M. Right. Or you can follow me as the 67th CJG man. That is uh, CJG Man sixty seven on Twitter. Follow those guys. Here's Axel Foley to tell you, uh, you know, a bunch of false information about me. Bye. You've been listening to Podcast Winterfell. Find the podcast blog at podcastwinterfell.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter, twitter.com slash winterfellpod. Contact the podcast either by email, podcastwinterfell at gmail.com, or by calling the listener line, 314-669-1840.